together for discipleship training this morning. We're going to return to a, a topic we looked at in, in depth uh, maybe a couple years ago while we were going through First Peter, and that's coming back to, to thinking through church and state relations. I think the title for my lesson is something like Who, Who's in Charge, something, 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 church and state relations stuff. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this isn't going to be a, a super detailed lesson as we've uh, gone into much detail on this topic in the past. We're going to have two weeks on this topic, by the way, and we did that. So if there's some specific questions that you have, things that we want to look at in more detail next week, we can do that. So if you have any uh, questions while we're in the middle of this lesson, you can ask them. And I might move them to next week, or we might uh, consider them even this very day. And you could also, you think of one maybe later in the week, you can email me at cbrown at fcfmv.org. cbrown at fcfmv.org. When you think back to the year of 2020 and the event of COVID, we know that it was a, a time of testing and stretching not only in you, your whole life changing in a lot of aspects, you know, you're not able to, to go places that you would normally go to enjoy things that uh, you, you couldn't enjoy because of the supply chain issues. Like even when I say that supply chain, you're like, oh, why'd you say those words? Or it's like, why'd you say COVID or 2020? Like, it's like nobody has good feelings when they hear those words. But... When you think back on those things and just the, the history of what happened uh, with our church, I think it, we have a lot of reasons to be thankful that the Lord sustained us through it all. We're, we're still here. You know, there's a lot of churches that aren't around anymore, which, you know, raises the question, you know, what, what happened to those other churches? And I think it could be tied to one of those new words that we learned back in 2020, which was comorbidity. We started to realize that uh, this COVID thing wasn't exactly what we were being told in the media and how it was being reported wasn't exactly accurate. So people started making a distinction between people dying from COVID and with COVID. So there's a lot of people that they didn't die from it, but they died with it, and they had comorbidities. They had a, a other underlying issues, and it just happens to be that the COVID thing was maybe what, you know, sunk the ship in the end, which I think it was similar with churches. You know, what sunk the ship of the church? Well, it was a comorbidity. You know, they didn't die from COVID, but they died with it. There, There wasn't the theology or the conviction to keep them afloat ultimately through the event of what happened. And when we think back through all of this, it, there, there's a lot of gratefulness in, in my heart that the Lord sustained us and he brought us through it. I know there were many things even in myself that uh, I, I had to, to think through things that I hadn't uh, developed in my theology, uh, so not in great detail at least, or the, the maturity that I think that I have in those things now. So, you know, this, this isn't going to be a lesson where I explain to you guys how, how right I always was from the beginning. I always understood these things, and, you know, that's why things turned out so well. <laughs> you know, as it, as it was all happening, I, yeah, I'm trying to understand, you know, this event of what we're being told about early on. And it's like, hey, how many days or weeks was it to, to slow the curve or whatever? Yeah, it was like 15, and it's like day 16, and it's not half day 17. Like, what's going on? It's like, this is super suspicious now. Like, I haven't seen anyone die from this at all. Like, we're more healthy than ever. <laughs> you know, what's happening? Uh, there are things that... We, we all had to think through 
together, and one of those was, you know, this issue, what, what does the Bible teach about the conscience? You know, we're seeing different believers are coming to some different thoughts on this issue. They're, they're having some different thoughts on the virus, some different uh, thoughts on vaccine, different thoughts on uh, if to gather, when to gather, mask or no mask. And you're all getting like the heebie-jeebies right now, hearing all of this stuff. And it, it was good for the church and the, it, it, it challenged us to think through, well, what is the church? How does God want me to think about church and the gathering and the conscience of other believers and unity and peace and uh, submission to, to the government or to also think through the, the element, well, when, when do I not submit to the government? Uh, all of these sort of things we were faced with and not, not only in that environment, but also at the workplace where you're having to deal with some employers wanting to really push the vaccine, some offering a religious exemption form of some sort. And, you know, going through all of this, I, ha I have never received more phone calls in my life than the time when the religious exemption form came. And it, it was mostly people from outside of our church calling me. And why they were calling me, I have no idea. But you know, they're calling from Citrus Heights. And a lot of people just ask, like, how, why, why me? Like, why are you calling me of all people on the planet right now? And they said, well, I just, you know, looked on Google Maps and just started calling every church within a, a radius like near to, to where I live. And you're the first one that's actually open. <laughs> and so they said, you know, my, my employer has the, they're offering this religious exemption form. Uh, what, what should I do? What should I do with this form? How should I think about this? And, you know, my, my first questions are more about, you know, are you part of a local church? Who's your pastors? What's, what's going on there? Because I want them to be shepherded by the, the shepherds that God has given them. And I, I don't want to, you know, take over a role that God has already fulfilled and having for them in their life. So there was a lot of people uh, you know, given that it was about after six weeks that uh, we opened back up here, just recognizing, you know, this uh, COVID thing isn't as severe uh, as we were hearing. But even if it was worse, we were recognizing the church needs to be together. Whatever it is that's going on, uh, we need one another. We need, we need fellowship. And, and if people are really going through some sort of pandemic, we wanna be there to, to minister to them, which the case was, you know, there, there were little people, you know, uh, affected by the spread of disease and more people infected from uh, bad theology and trying to figure out how to, to navigate this whole thing. So coming back to, you know, this idea of a religious exemption, you get this at, at work, you're, you're a believer, you want to honor the Lord. How do you make a decision about that when you have that available and you got one week to make a decision? Do you sign it? Do you not? How are you going to respond to your boss? Is it, is it worth losing your job over? You know, what do you, is this vaccine thing really that risky? Uh, how would you guys counsel somebody in working through that particular issue. Do you sign the form or not? Is there only one right answer? Are there five right ways to respond to it, perhaps? What do you guys think? Yeah, conscience informed by scripture. So you're, you're starting with that because you don't, you don't want to violate your conscience, but there's also this element, is my conscience informed by scripture? You know, how does God want me to think about this? It's not just what do you think about it, what do other people think about it? You know, how does God want me to, to navigate this particular issue in a way that I can honor him? And in this case, it's not, it's not black and white. Uh, you're living in the, the book of Proverbs, which is all about the gray areas where you're dealing with you could, there's three right decisions and two wrong ones. And you rule out the two wrong ones because they're obviously sinful and now you got 
three right decisions you could make, and which one is it? And which one are you going to pick? Which one's going to be the best one, ultimately? Which then, you know, recognizing, you know, this idea that there could be three right responses, and you have a, a very strong conviction about option A, but you're going to, to church with people who take option B and C. And you're like, well, why would you do that? Uh, like, are you compromising? Maybe they're not. You know, maybe their conscience is also in, informed by Scripture, and you're trying to figure out, well, how do we navigate this in unity? And it, uh, it was good for us as a church to, to go through that and to think about how, how we maintain unity with one another, peace with one another, recognizing this is another believer who's in their conscience, they're making a, a decision that's different than mine, but in a, in a way you could say it's agreeing with God's conscience. You know, they're not violating anything in Scripture, though it's not the decision you know, I would make. And then you're thinking through, you know, how do I relate to them, you know, uh, within the church, within the body? So on the other side of this, there's not some tension between us. You know, I don't do some damage to the relationship but I'm showing some deference and love toward them and walking through all of this together. Well, in thinking through this religious exemption form and how you think through it and stuff, I'm using this as a, as a test case because I think it, uh, it intersects with the various different ways in which God delegates his authority in the world. And so we're going to look together at in this, this first lesson, this topic, and how God delegates authority in the world. So how, how does God delegate authority in the world? And you think, go back to the very beginning of creation, there's one guy. How was God delegating his authority? Yeah, well, you have, you have one guy who, who would be, you know, the, the father of a whole lot of people. Seems to say, you know, you have a, an individual and you have an individual with a conscience. The Bible discusses this sort of concept in Romans 2.14. If you want to look over at that, Romans For when Gentiles who do not have the law naturally do the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, and that they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So one of the ways God delegates authority is through an individual conscience. It's his law instruction written on the, the heart of men. That word conscience just means with knowledge. You know, every man has a, a built-in alarm system for what is right or wrong. And depending on how that alarm system is wired within themselves, it's going to sound when certain things that the conscience is trained to think is wrong, it's going to go off, the red lights go off, or things that uh, the conscience is trained to think right, it's going to think it's, it's appropriate to do those particular things. And so that's something that God has given us, and I have misspelled. Thank you for telling me about that. <laughs> and then going on Andrew's answer, it builds into this next element of, you know, fathers leading family. 
You know, this is a God-instituted family. It goes from Adam as an individual with a conscience and to Adam and Eve, who would then have children. And God delegates authority through family. We see that. What are some places in the Bible you can think of that, that talk about that? Yeah, uh, Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a you know, cross-reference to Deuteronomy 6, you know, f- 4 to 7. What are, what are those verses about? Yeah, teaching your children. This is what, what Andrew brought up. You know, fathers instructing their children you know, you're uh, cross-referencing here into Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. It's like, well, what do fathers do? They, uh, they in- instruct, they I- admonish. You know, the, the family is to be a, a learning community led by the father and discipling his children and, and, and everything uh, that, that he does throughout all of life. You know, he's teaching his children about who God is, how his salvation works, how, how to, to live wisely in this world. Uh, Proverbs 22, 25, you know, emphasizes this. You want to look over at that. Proverbs 22, 25. And this will also give us the, the symbol I'm going to draw for I wrote down the wrong verse here. I have a typo in my notes. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's what I'm looking for here. It's the idea that the, the father uses the, the rod of discipline. You, know, you think about that. It's a rod of discipline that he uses for the child or the, the back of Fools. We'll just put Proverbs. <laughs> you, you know that it's in there. And 22.15, could you read that? Yeah, so that there's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. It says it's the rod of discipline that, that removes it. So you see here, I, I drew a shepherd's staff. It's the same word. So you see, it, it's not just... Uh, you know, an implement to, to bring pain, but it's also a discipling tool. You hear that in the, the word discipline. You hear the word disciple. Yeah, it's not uh, enough you know, just to I- administer the rod to the back of a child acting foolishly, but you also have to, well, what do you do then? If you're not supposed to do this, then how am I supposed to live? What, what should I have done in that situation? So you see it's... Uh, in a way, the, the family kind of functions as like the education, welfare sort of ministry in the world. Now, there's outside the, the family or within the family, rather, altogether, Adam and Eve, his, his family were put in a workplace, right? God delegates authority there, which would develop. You read about this as masters and slaves in Scripture. If you keep reading through, you know, Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, then right after that you get to uh, Ephesians 6, 5 and following, and it talks about slaves obeying their masters. You know, this is the idea of the workplace, and God is delegating a an authority there and requiring an, an attitude of submission. You see this in Colossians 3.22 and you know, submitting to, to masters, you know, not as eye service to men, but to be pleasing to the Lord. We saw that back in uh, 1 Peter 2.18. We looked at that. And who wants to guess what my symbol for the workplace is going to be? Bread, yeah. 
<laughs> because work, work is tied to food, right? Uh, you, don't, you don't work, you don't eat. You know, this is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He's like, you know, e- each man needs to learn to, to make his own bread. He needs to learn to put you know, his own bread on his table so that he can provide for his family and be generous to others. I thought long and hard about that symbol, just so you know. Yes, sir. I'm not going to draw a hammer and sickle for a lot of reasons. I'm going to I'm going to stick with bread. It's in Thessalonians. It's a figure of speech used in the Bible and in our modern language. We get it. Yeah, but man doesn't live on bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which instructs us in all of these things. And God delegates his authority also through, you know, civil government or, you know, say, the, the state. That's how we talk about it. Uh, you know, the popular Bible passage on that. Uh, Romans 13, we looked at that in length a couple years back. 1 Peter 2, 13, those verses there following that. And, you know, the, the symbol for this ministry that God has set up is the sword. You know, this, which you can, you, you're seeing this develop throughout history and creation, you know, going in this order. When you begin, you know, in the Bible, in, in the very beginning, there, there is no civil government or state. You know, it, it starts with God creating an individual and then a family and then giving him work to do and commanding him to be fruitful and multiply. But what happens in human history is the fall and men start working against being fruitful and multiplying through violence. So you think back through in Genesis 9 when God looked on the earth and he, he saw that the, 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 the thoughts of the hearts of, of men were corrupt always and they were just get, there was violence everywhere. Well, violence, it attacks an individual's life. It attacks the family. It attacks being able to, to do work. It's like everything that is involved with being fruitful and multiplying, which is having children, being productive in in a job, and worshiping God and making him known to to others. So you say, you know, life, worship, family, the workplace, these, we we could call them pre-political rights. They were rights that, that God gave before any sort of civil or state government was ever instituted to protect all of those but you can hear how I'm putting that. There's no government that gives you those rights. God has already given them, but they're to protect them. You know, they, they exist. They use the sword to protect other people's lives, to protect people's families, to protect people's freedom to worship, to, you know, ensure that they're able to have, you know, a workplace where they're not being robbed and they can make a living so that they can have a family and a life, all of that stuff. You can see how that's all tied together. Uh, in, in short, you know, what, what, what does government do? 1 Peter 2.13. We'll go get our Bible answer there, 1 Peter 2.13. The Word of God reads in 1 Peter 2.13, beginning there, Be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. So they exist to, to punish evil and to praise good. So it's like, what is evil? Well, it's like anything that's against you know, an individual, family, the workplace, worship, all of that. But they're to praise that which is good. Well, what's good? Well, family work, worship, you know, being able to put some, some bread on the table, being able to raise and educate your children, uh, all of those sort of things. But they're to do, to do that 
according to how God defines those things, and they provide protection that is physical, right? So you think about that in contrast to the church. Now, does the, does, does the church carry the physical sword to bring justice on the planet? No, they, the church has a, a different symbol What are these? These are keys. (laughs) The church is given uh, keys that are, you know, specifically related to, you know, doctrine and and practice. Uh, You read about what submitting, you know, to... Ma- slaves to masters in the workplace in First Peter. You read about submitting to governing institutions in First Peter two thirteen and First Peter five five. You read about submission to to elders within a local church body. Now, so there's a lot of th- things we could cross reference in here. But I want to cross reference the entire book of Ephesians right here, uh, in particular chapters, you know, one to three and four to six, because Ephesians is, <laughs> this lays out the purpose of the church. This is what the church does. It carries the, the keys of teaching doctrine and practice, right? And that's how that epistle happens to break out, which is an epistle that is about the church in particular. And you get that idea for, of the keys from Matthew 18, where the Lord is instructing Peter in what we refer to as church discipline. You know, somebody's doctrinally errant, they need to be corrected and restored to truth. Or if they uh, waver in some unholy practice, you know, we desire their restoration to, to a holy walk to their holy God so that there can be a a demonstration, witness of his holiness in the world. And so they're not protecting people physically so much by coercion, but they're protecting people by compelling them to move towards what is true and what is right. So here at this point, you guys have any questions? kind of developing this at this point. We're looking at how God delegates his authority, the individual conscience, the family, the workplace, the state, and through the church. Yes, sir. Who, who Are you guys pointing at each other? All right, Andrew, you can go first. <laughs> Yeah, so Andrew's asking about, you know, the, the definition of uh, punishing evil and how, how we're to understand that. Am I understanding your question right? Okay. Uh, you see this. This is in Genesis 9, 5 to 6. This is kind of like an early precursor to the existence of human government post flood. Actually, we'll start in verse 1 in chapter 9. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God says, that, That's still my plan. But what the problem is, is that there's violence on the earth that's preventing people from being able to be fruitful and multiply and carry that out. And then moving on to verse 4 or 5, he says, Because the question is, well, you know, if there's people like Cain on the planet and lame Lamech, who is not, you know, likable Lamech, who was great-grandfather to Noah. He's lame Lamech. And like, he, he killed a young man and thought that he should have, you know, even greater vengeance for his life if somebody should take it than Cain had. Lame. Lamech. 
So how do you, how do you live in that world uh, and have some sort of protection? Well, there's a precursor to human government here in 9.5. It says, surely I will require your lifeblood from every living thing I will require it and from every man, from each man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, swarm on the earth and multiply in it. So you see here, there's this concept of justice built in where God says, well, if, if you take a life, you, you give a life. There's gonna be an, an institution where God is going to, to give them the sword to uphold capital punishment. He said, you know, by man, his blood shall be shed. There's gonna be uh, human governments who have the right to carry out capital punishment in order to protect people. And you see that uh, carried out, you know, very early on in scripture. You see that with the, the nation of Israel in, in particular, which is a, a unique sort of institution where like in a way you had, you know, state and congregation combined in one, which is not, you know, the time and history in which we live. We had talked about this this past Sunday on how uh, the, the church isn't a political entity like Israel. And so that's why we don't carry a, a sword to execute Canaanites and Hittites and stuff on the planet. But what God has given us, he's, he has both of those as servants. Romans 13 talks about uh, the state as a servant of the Lord. It talks about you know, the church also as a servant of the Lord. And so you see there's some sort of relationship in a fallen world that we have to understand where both of those can exist, but the, the state itself it, it isn't necessarily a, a Christian institution in and of itself. So does that start to like answer your question? The idea that you know they, they punish evil. It's a ministry that God has given them to protect life. Yeah, it, yeah, everybody on the planet's held to a standard, which, I mean, that's a super important point that you're bringing up when we're reading in Scripture that, you know, the role of government is to punish evil and praise good, but it's not as determined as right in their own eyes. You know, that, that's the book of Judges. You know, that, those were uh, bad examples of government. But when it comes to punishing evil, it's like, well, how, how does the God of creation define evil? We're only to punish what he calls evil, and we're only to praise what he calls good. But we can't come up with different definitions for evil, different definitions for good, and they're, they're held to the standard of the character of God who made them and gave them that uh, institution and ministry. You know, it can't be a self-defined ministry to, there to look to God and how to understand the ministry that he's given them. Which is, what's helpful in understanding that is you're not, you're not obligated to submit to an institution when it's functioning outside of its role. And I think that's one of the things that was really highlighted throughout all this. When, when government is praising evil and punishing good, uh, you, you don't have an obligation from God to submit to that. Uh, but, but instead, th this is where the church has been, I guess you could say, debating and trying to refine how, how do you work through these sort of issues when that happens. So the government's going against God and the, the government wants to hurt people in your family and you have an obligation to protect people in your family. Uh, what is lawful for you to do in that case? Uh, do you just allow a governing official to, to come in and harm your people and your family? Or you think, well, I, I have an obligation to uh, protect my family and to even lay down my life for them. Uh, this is uh, a tension that 
people have had to, to live with throughout different times in, in history. And you can kind of, you can see the tension in the conundrum in a fallen world where it's like, well, I'm supposed to have this attitude of submission to government, and now they, they want to hurt my family, and I'm supposed to protect my family. Uh, people have to come to, to some sort of conclusion on things like that. Yes, sir, Jeff. Yeah, so when you're looking that back through Romans 13, just thinking other things, they're not, maybe government's not necessarily threatening the life of your family. Uh, maybe there's a, a really high tax burden or you don't like how they're, what they're doing within the educational system or libraries or like, why, why can't we have the state of Jefferson already? I mean, we're underrepresented and we need better forest management, you know? I just really sidetracked myself there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you submit to them, which first and foremost, the, the idea there, it's when, when you're reading in Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, it says, you know, be subject. It's, it's something that, it, it's an attitude that you're putting yourself into. It doesn't say, give absolute obedience to the government, but have an attitude like you want to submit to them. It's not that you're starting with, you know, I want to rebel and I want to find some way to, to skirt taxes because I think that they're unjust or something like that. But that's, that's the other command that we're given in Romans 13, not only to, you know, submit to government, but pay your taxes. What you remember, there was that whole instance when there were the Jews that tried to pin Jesus and this, you know, whole political tension of, the Jews are looking at paying taxes to Caesar as breaking the, the command to, you know, not have a, an image of God because Caesar was saying that, you know, he, he was God. He had his image on the coin. And so if he was, you know, Jesus was to say, you know, yes to paying taxes, they're going to say, well, you're saying yes to supporting idolatry. But, you know, if he, if he says no, then he's also not supporting you know, the, the religious zealots and the people that are, you know, recognizing that it's an, an unjust tax and they want to overthrow the government, skirt taxes, all that sort of stuff. But the, the way that he ends up answering that question, he says, well, give to God what is God and give, you know, to Caesar what is Caesar's. So he started, well, whose image is on the coin? Which is the thing they were all upset about. Like, well, Caesar's. He's like, then, then give that to Caesar. Which then, you know, that brings up the question, well, where is the image of God at? It's you. Give, give to God what belongs to him. What belongs to him is you, like your life, your devotion. And that really lays out you know, the, the tension of uh, like two kingdoms where you're seeing, you know, we're living in this world of uh, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, there, there's an evil kingdom and there's a good kingdom. Uh, we're living in this uh, kind of like already but not yet sort of state where we're, we're citizens of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but we're also praying for that, that kingdom to come because it's not fully realized yet in history. You know, the, the, the king's you know, body, the church is present, but the king isn't physically reigning on the throne of David right now. We're citizens of that kingdom and there's gonna be a new heavens, a new earth, but we're not in it yet though we're citizens of it. So we find ourselves in the tension of being in these two sort of kingdoms and trying to figure out, you know, how do we live as a witness in this world, which is the, the purpose of, of the church, to be a witness in the world through everything that, that happens. Which why, why I emphasize that point of the church being a witness is the, the temptation is for the church to, to politicize itself and to say, well, what we really need to do is to be more informed in politics and 
more involved and to have greater influence in the world and it'll bring about uh, a greater righteousness and some sort of better cultural Christianity and maybe I'll still be able to have my small gas engine in a few years in the state of California. But the, the church's position isn't to, to try to control the government to become the discipler and baptizer of the nations. Uh, the church, rather, is to be a witness that's a witness of the truth to everybody, whether it's somebody in the, in the government or not. But to, we don't shy away from calling them to do what is righteous, but our, our hope isn't there. And so, you know, think back going through all the, the, the COVID stuff and you have all of the tension of, you know, the, the government's not doing what it's supposed to do and you want it to, you know, they're acting unlawfully. So you think, well, what they need, they need to know what is lawful and that comes from the word of God. And, you know, as the church, we want to bring that to them that they would uh, conform to it ultimately, but our, our hope can't be bound up in, in that ultimately. It's right to be righteously indignant that the government is doing evil, supporting things like a drag queen story hour in public libraries, but while we're, we're right to be indignant about those things, you know, it, the, the marching orders from our commander isn't so get more politically involved, but it's to continue to be a city on a hill, to continue to be the witness that God has called us to. And so we're right to be upset, but we're wrong to put the emphasis in the political realm rather than the church, which I think what's difficult about that in our hearts is when we, we look at a, a state government, it looks way more powerful than the church. You know, the church looks very weak in comparison, but that's God's plan A and he doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't say, well, if the church seems like too weak and you're just not getting the legislation through that you want, you just need to be more educated in law and trying to be like influencing governing officials more, which I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. You know, if God's given you a platform to do that, by, by all means, uh, be about it for the cause of Christ. But our focus should be on the church, which I think is a good thing that, uh, came out of, you know, the Lord giving us the, you know, COVID. I would rather call it the Great Reset, but that's just me. But, uh, yeah, it's not just me. You know, it, this, it can be one of those, you know, we, we report, you decide sort of things. Uh, what am I talking about? <laughs> we the emphasis is to be focused on the church. That was one of the things that we were challenged in, not just thinking about the state itself, but think, well, what is the church? What does he want us to do? You know, what, what is our purpose together as a body? It, it's to be a witness. You know, it, it, it's not to try to uh, bring righteousness through influence in the state. It's to, to bring righteousness through the influence of our lives wherever God has placed us. You know, whether it be, you know, Meadow Vista or, Auburn or I, we, we, we live here, you know, uh, there were things that were going, people would call me and say, you know, did you know that this thing is going on uh, at, at DC? You know, what are we going to do about it? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not a pastor there. You know, if I were there and the, you know, that was within a few miles of my house, I, you know, I, I would maybe consider going out there and, and preaching at that event or uh, handing out tracts there, but uh, I don't live there. Uh, I live here in Placer County and God has called me to be a witness here. And so I think one of the things that uh, was good that the Lord taught us through COVID is to think about your local church and the local place where you live and uh, what, what does faithfulness look like for you as a resident in the little place that you are and in the neighborhood that God has placed you in the church that is that, that he has placed you to, to be a light for the gospel. And so it was a, a great time to just think through, you know, build out our theology of the church and what it is, our commitment to it, uh, 
And I dealt with that a lot when we, we opened you know, just a little bit earlier than a few other churches in the area. And we had uh, a lot of people that had come to this church and, and they'd say, well, I think we're gonna start bringing my family here. I said, well, where did you come from? Well, we came from this other church. I said, how long have you been there? I said, I've been there, I've been there for 10 years. I said, did you talk to any of your pastors and tell them that you were leaving, why you were leaving, or ask them about how they were thinking through things or what was going on there? Well, no. So, well, don't you think you owe it to yourself to like go back and talk to them and see what's going on before just bolting on them? I mean, you've been de developing relationships for 10 years there. I said, th there might not be a reason to try to start over in a new place. Uh, uh, maybe it'd be better to just be willing to stick it out. I mean, even if it's a few more months just to see what what's happening and to trust your leaders because they're, they're dealing with trying to shepherd all, all sorts of people and is it gonna help them to just have you just disappear from the radar all of a sudden just because you don't like that they didn't open this week or they're gonna do that in another two weeks or you don't like that, you know, they're still doing masks but there's no mask here. Uh, but there's also the other side, you know, where sometimes people are saying, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like when the great reset button was hit, my pastor just started preaching social justice stuff all the time. I say, don't go back there. <laughs> Stay here, move here. I mean, whatever you have to do, don't go back there. You know, that, that's a different issue because now the church has abandoned its task of uh, upholding doctrine and practice and you don't have a, a, an obligation to submit to, to wrong doctrine and wrong practice when the, the church is being unfaithful to the role that God has given to it. So c coming back to our test case on, you know, the religious exemption form, you know, we built out this, how God delegates authority in the world, which is, this is, this is one of the things that has developed in my mind, you know, when, when I first started thinking through this, I came across this concept of you know, sphere sovereignty, which would only look at, you know, the family, the state and the church but as I kept reading scripture, I said, there's more to it than that. And, you know, it built out thinking through the individual and the workplace as well, which now you think about getting this religious exemption form. You have, you know, the, the civil government is wanting you to get vaccinated so that you can work, but it's also a religious form, so it's tied into your doctrine and practice. Uh, it's dealing with your family because it's like, well, how many of us have to be vaccinated or if you, maybe you're a single person, it's just you as an individual and your conscience on the issue, like, do I want to, to do this or not? And so now thinking through religious exemption form, your friend wants to know, uh, should I sign it? How should I think this through? If you run it through what scripture teaches on all of these things, how, how would you advise somebody concerning the religious exemption form. One, you want it to, to lay out helping them to see it correctly and to do whatever Corey Coleman's about to say. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I realized like 40 phone calls on this thing is people were just scared. And, and it's hard to think straight when you're fearful. And we just needed to, to start with, you can trust God. And, it's like, and, and what do you know is true? And, the, and then I'm starting with, you know, where do you go to church? You know, who are your pastors? Have you talked to them about this? Because I, I want them to be, cared for by, you know, local people and uh, not myself if, if they already have faithful shepherds, but I also want to give them some sort of biblical understanding of how God delegates his authority. And we'll build that out a little bit. Uh, Andrew, you want to add to that? Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, but what you recognize there in dealing with that, your 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 conscience is informed in a certain way. You're like, you know, I I wouldn't do it uh, at all, but it's also wise to present it that way. Like, this is the decision that I, I would make, but you don't necessarily have to make it. But you do need to, to understand how God is delegating in his authority. And when you're getting that religious exemption form, you're, you're having Caesar come along and he's conditioning you to, to think of him as both pastor and parent in the workplace. You hear it? Because it's a religious exemption. So Caesar's saying, when you think about your religion, I want you to think about me and if I approve of it or not. And your practice will be de determined by signing forms that I give you. I mean, already when you hear that, you're like, I don't think I want to go for that. But it's also, you know, in, in a way it's a, a parenting sort of function. And they're saying, you know, I think that you need to, you know, get this particular vaccine. You know, they're, they're making a medical choice for you, which, you know, the, the church can't make medical decisions for you state isn't to make medical decision for you or the workplace you know that belongs with you know families and individuals in that in that realm so you see just that one simple <laughs> little form violates so many things and could confuse somebody if they don't understand you know how God delegates his authority in the world but when they understand that then they're able to make a more confident sort of decision so you know with most people I don't you know, don't sign it. Yeah, so what do you think that you're going to gain from doing that? It's like, well, I'll be able to, to, to keep my job. You know, they're fearful of losing their job. And I said, well, what's going to you know, demonstrate most, you know, a, a trust in God and a right understanding of what the Bible teaches on these things? Which decision is going to do that? Because you exist to be a light for the truth, not to just try to, maintain a job by you know signing this form which really doesn't promise you anything at all and rick you had something you wanted to add in there Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So lo looking at your motives, are you are you making the decision, you know, out of fear? Are you making it out of uh, trusting the Lord, or are you making it out of you know wanting to control things in life, and you think you'll be able to 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 keep a job, even though maybe it's not the, you know the best decision. But you're also recognizing you might be in the workplace. You know, three believers all go to the same church. Uh, two guys that not signing it, not getting vaccinated, but one of them does. And did they necessarily compromise? Did they do it out of fear? Maybe they did it out of trusting the Lord, but, you know, should we treat them like a black sheep because of that? Uh, you see how, how, you know, the kindness of the Lord and, you know, bringing us through all of that to kind of wrestle with those things and to think through, you know, how to love one another when people are making different decisions on a clear conscience. Yeah, Alan.
Yeah, so not just having a, a biblically informed conscience, but being informed on what you're being told. Like, am I being deceived? You know, do I need to you know, study the, the stats? And boy, were those things all sorts of mixed up and whatnot. But kind of gives you an indicator that somebody's not telling the truth here. You know, the, the way I kind of thought of it is, you know, like when you have a kid, well, this, this is what happened in my house when I was a kid. I'd asked to, to go over to, to Jake's house and my mom would say, you can't hang out with that kid. Every, every time that you hang out with him, you get into all sorts of trouble and you come back home and I, I don't know if to believe you about what really happened and why all of the neighbors' tires are flat now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that when, you know, science hangs out with politics, right? Yeah, he's hanging out with a bad kid and he's going to come back saying, saying stuff that he shouldn't. He's going to be lying to you. He's not going to be telling the truth. And so, you know, science and politics, when they're hanging out, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you've, been, you've been hanging out with the wrong kid. But uh, there, there is a, a, an obligation for us to have, you know, a biblical worldview, to think through what is true. There's also the reality that we're just going to be deceived sometimes. And, you know, we don't want that to be the case, but we, we, we pray for the Lord to expose evil and to help us. But I don't, I don't think every, every Christian has the same obligation to to study all of those things in the same depth. So there's going to be certain men who are going to, they're, for whatever reason, maybe they're more involved in some of those topics or they choose to be more involved in sorting through some of the medical stuff and whatnot because they have the background and the, the education to be able to do so. But that's their unique gifting in the church. But the, the beauty of the local church is you have people that are gifted to do that and they come in, in service to everybody else to help us to be able to, to walk through and make educated decisions. So, yeah, Jeff. Well, yeah, so as, let me make sure I have your question right, but, you know, is government, you know, requiring a vaccine, them forbidding something that God commands, which, you know, God doesn't command uh, never get a vaccine. Yes, he does command you to work. And so you can see the, the tension there and that it's, that this we'll talk about a little bit more next week, but when it comes to dealing with these sort of issues, it, it, it's inadequate to just look at it, you know, it, is the government telling me to sin? And if so, then I won't do it. And so that, that's woefully inadequate in dealing with these sort of situations because sometimes you think about with uh, Daniel, this isn't Daniel 3, this is the, you know, example that I used in which he, he was told to, to bow down to this image of the king and to not, to not pray to his God. And what Daniel did was he still kept going up and praying, you know, it, by his window three times a day. Now, it wasn't something, God didn't command him to pray at that, that particular window three times a day. And it wouldn't be a sin for him to just pray you know, next to the window as opposed to right in front of it. But what Daniel recognized was, you know, if I obey what the king is saying, I'll confuse who is the one who actually informs my doctrine and practice. Therefore, he says, I'm willing to, to lose my life over this uh, because I don't want there to be any confusion that the king can tell me how to worship. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily a sin issue, but it confused you know, understanding, you know, the role of government, which is, you know, to, to be a, a protector of you and not to give you, you know, doctrine or practice of worship, but to, to make a decision that, that shows that, you know, the Lord alone is in charge of uh, making those sort of decisions. So c coming back around, you know, to that sort of issue, you know, the, the work, like, you know, you have to work, you want to work. Government's telling you uh, they're not going to let you, let you work. They're, they're stepping outside of 
their bounds and, and they've become a, 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 an oppressor rather than a protector. And you're put in a tough position because they're not, they're not protecting you being able to be fruitful and multiply by uh, working. And now you have to make a decision. You say, well, which decision is going to show, you know, who's in charge of how I worship? You know, which decision is going to show that uh, I'm really trusting the Lord and you're, you're weighing that out. And, and some people, they're like, you know, I'm just gonna get one of these vaccines and go through with it. And uh, other people like, you know, I, I'm not gonna do it, you know, even if they kill me because I'm, I think that thing's gonna kill me and so I'm not gonna get it. And I think that's one of those instances where you have, you know, more than one right choice that you can make, but what helps is your understanding, you know, the, the government's role and that they're outside of it and you don't have to submit to it. You, you don't have an obligation when they say, you know, you must be vaccinated. You don't have to. You recognize, well, that's a, a decision that's left to, to family and an individual, but you have that tension where you have to make a decision because you're wanting to be a provider as God has called you. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, I think instead of, you know, thinking of it as, you know, just like an obligation to the government to, to speak truth to them, we, we have an obligation to speak truth to every man. You know, uh, the, one of the things we have to kind of like break through in our minds is that there isn't this thing that's the government, right? You know, God is the only thing that is the government. And he, and he governs through, you know, uh, all of these different things that I've written down up here. And when, you know, there's governing officials that are out of line and the church can be a, a light to them somehow, which was, you know, that came out in uh, different believers writing various, you know, declarations and, and whatnot that would go up to the legislative level to inform them that, you know, God has a standard that he's holding you to and that he's going to to, to judge you for. And there's some, some churches, some individuals who had more access to governing officials to, to be a light to them. And I'd say, you know, in that case, if God has given you that stewardship, you, you have an obligation to uphold righteousness, to, to call political people and, and everybody to repentance, ultimately. But, uh, I think the danger is that people get so, they can get so focused on the political realm that all of their, their life is primarily about, well, you know, how, how do I just confront governing officials which are not reading my Instagram, not reading my Twitter, I'm not going to their capital, I don't even know a legislator. You know, you, there's something to just recognize in you know, God's providence and where he's placed you at in life, but when you have opportunities to uphold righteousness, maybe it's you know, signing something that's, you know, anti-abortion legislation, or it, it's related to the COVID stuff, and you're able to, maybe you're not an author on the particular thing, but you, you can be a signature that supports it. It's like, well, by all means, you know, do what you can to promote righteousness and to call men to account, but ultimately to let them know that they, they will be uh, accountable to God in their, their actions because they're supposed to be his servant and not a servant unto themselves. Does that make sense? I know everyone's like, why, why can't we just like headlock them, give them a noogie and just make them all change in a day and fix everything? It just... It doesn't work like that. Or it's just like, you just give them a good Indian burn. You're like, just say Jesus. <laughs> That's a bad method of evangelizing people. Gunner.
right, so we're o- over time at this point. If any of you guys have any other questions or you know topics you, you, within this topic that you'd like me to address or look at in more detail next week, uh, please let me know. My uh, plan is to look a little bit more at you know state church relations, the how those roles are laid out a little bit more. But I want to you know, serve you guys specifically and the things that you're thinking through and the questions you have. So uh, please, please let me know what you're thinking about and we can uh, see what the word of God says about those, those things. Well, let's close in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we thank you that you are the sovereign over all creation that you have spoke things into existence, which you have also spoken to instruct how to live in your world, how to understand your world, how to understand what it is to be an individual with a conscience, to understand the blessing of family and work and the goodness of food that is tied to that, to understand the role of civil government, to understand the role of the church and where we fit in the world to help us to be able to know how to make decisions when the, the church is at odd with the states and we must obey you rather than man. We pray that you would continue to give us wisdom and greater unity on this issue. And we ask this for the sake of your name so that we would live in unity with one another, which would be a display of the unity that there is within the Godhead, that we would live with one another with the love that is expressed within the Trinity. We pray that you would help us and prepare us for the days that are ahead of us, which only you know what they are, that we'd be able to make confident decisions which would promote the glories of our Christ and his salvation with conviction, with confidence, with steadfastness, and with the fear and obedience and reverence that belongs to you and you alone because you are worthy, you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen.